Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know, where we talk about everything that musicals teach us. And this is a very special episode because we are doing our first international episode over Skype. So if we do have any sound issues, please forgive us. We will do our very best. But we do have our regular host, Julie Eisentrager. Hello. And back from her London excursion is KB. Yay! Hey, guys! Thank you, KB, for joining us so early in the morning for you. Oh, I'm so excited that I'm here. (laughs) Of course, I am Zane C. Webber, and with us is our guest this week from our New York office, (laughs) Benedict (laughs) Braxton Smith. Hello! So, Benedict, you picked Gentleman's Guide to love and murder to talk about i i did zane i did now why did you pick it uh because i love the show because i saw it twice last time i was uh in town i just think it's like an excellent example of a musical it i think it's like one of those shows that was in, incredibly good lived its life on broadway as long as it should have and is going to have a huge life uh post broadway around the world and i think it's like an important an important piece of like neo-romantic musical theater writing. Yeah, great. Well, it's actually also a great choice because yourself, KB, and myself have all seen this live in New York. Yeah, it was the first Broadway show I ever saw. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So Incredible. excited. So, yay! get into that we have a little get to know you quiz benedict for those of our listeners that have never heard your voice or had any experience with you before so are you ready you ready to take the quiz i am born ready mate Ah, <laughs> uh, you i feel like you're overcompensating for being in america by being super australian no because this is the first time I've heard a, like a group of Australian accents in just such a long time, so my voice is naturally doing this. Because of course, I've I've been here a year. I have an American accent now. Oh, you're one of them. All right, I'm not musical character. Would other people compare you to Benedict? Uh, okay. Uh, I. I I, I know one answer to this question uh, from a member of our table uh, would be literally any Muppet ever. There is a specific <laughs> Muppet, but you do look like a Muppet. 
I'm just saying. There is a specific which which Muppet Beaker. I would say Beaker is probably my Scout, spirit animal. Scout, oh god. You do have a kind um, of fuzzy, fuzzy every now and then. Yeah, uh, I mean, as far fuzzy. as. <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I, if it's from an actual musical, uh, it has to be Princeton Avenue Q, yeah. I think, is what I have most often like, I mean, I'm Princeton afraid. Princeton isn't a bad character to be like. No, you could be worse. Could be worse. Uh, oh, well, which musical character would you like other people to compare you to? Hmm... It depends. I think this is going to sound so wanky, but uh, <laughs> I think that professionally, I would love to be compared to Hamilton just because of the right, like you're running out of time. That element of it, not the kind of like crazy political side. <laughs> um, just that one. Not for what he's famous for. <laughs> not for what he's famous for. Um, or I don't know. I mean, like, I weirdly am the biggest fan of Shrek. <laughs> Aww. Like Shrek or Donkey, I also feel like two people who Aww. I would like, what? Just because it was my first musical. Um, oh, what's his name? Monka Strap eh, from Cats. Oh god, no! Like, oh, like, oh, like narrator cat guy. They're like yeah. him. I have a special place in my heart for that guy. All but right. you want people to think you like him? <laughs> He's a great dude. He's like super humble. He gives away that. Okay, I won't. I'm not going to go on my cat's rant, but like, yes, yes, Julie. <laughs> oh, I okay. forgot that you like cats, Benedict. We can't talk anymore. This is over. This wow. is the end. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Really it's been a great. I love you, Benedict. I love you. <laughs> okay, so what is your dream role, Benedict? Now you're not. Strictly a performer, you're more of a well. You're 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 a composer, writer slash uh, repetitor, pianist, etc. What's MD. your dream role? MD, of course. Uh, my dream role on stage changes a lot, but I think the longest term dream role has been either Judas or Pilot in JCS. Right. Um, Pilot's a weird one, but... That is a weird one. Yeah, not many people dream of being pilot, but I love that role. Uh, and then my dream, I do have a dream, like a couple of dream conducts. Like, I want to conduct Les Mis just once. I never have to do it again. <laughs> um, and then Wicked is a total dream conduct for me. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, on to the fun ones. What is your favourite Sondheim? Uh... Probably Sunday in the park. Right, yeah, okay. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what are the runners up? Yeah. <laughs> Look, Sweeney, obviously. Sweeney's um, and, the most accessible of his stuff, so. Yeah, and, and company to a point. I feel a lot of things for Bobby, but I uh, know I just think that Sunday in the park is. Just such an insane score. And it's so excellent. And it's also like, I mean, people say it's the only show he ever wrote truly about himself. And I think that I can like definitely feel that in there. Yeah, okay. So, so, Sunday. so it is Sunday morning in your tiny New York apartment. 
it's messy to the point that not too messy you can't get around but it's not clean and you you get out of bed you go to the shower what are you singing uh, hosanna by kirk franklin it's a cool <laughs> song um i listen to it in the shower almost every single morning of my life uh i listen to it literally daily that is something i did not know about you s- do, do you I sing s- along with it benedict of course, I sing along and I know every single... You'll have to listen to it at some stage, but it's gospel, so it's off the chain. And there's, like, a whole bunch of these different, like, hits. And I, like, I've, like, learnt... So the guy who, like, sings it, the the leader of the choir, he stands at the front and does this weird little dance. And I've, like, learnt the whole dance, and I'll often do that in the shower as well, to give you too much information. So, so what you're telling us is there is actual choreography, shower choreography of the group. Uh... I, I cannot either confirm or deny that, mm. but uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> okay, so as as a composer, Benedict, this is the most the more controversial for you than anyone else we've had on the podcast. <laughs> you have to delete one musical from existence. What is it? Um, I'm going to give a very flower child answer to this and say that I don't think any musical should be, like, deleted because I think even the worst musical in the world ever, which I won't say what I think it is, um, I don't think that should be deleted because you can learn something for it. That said, I would probably delete one of my shows. <laughs> which one? I won't, I won't say, but Zane, I think you're the only person in the world who might have read it. Oh, okay. Don't no, I know say what anything. About. I mean, but, like, you if, can say because literally no one else is going to know what it is, Benedict. There's like one other person. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want... Well, but, that's yeah, a very, I would... it's a very humble thing to do. And But you are the... I think you're maybe the only second person on this podcast to defend cats. So... That's Has everyone else said to delete cats? No. Please. They usually come up with like, well, everyone else has said cats, so I'm not going to say cats. Uh, but I will say, if you want to hear what the four hosts have to say about it, go to our Patreon. <laughs> and there is our cats <laughs> episode there. So uh, when we recorded it, we didn't actually know that it would be so controversial the whole time. Oh, no. <sighs> I, I could have told you that. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our Get to Know You quiz. Uh, So we'll take a break and we'll come back with uh, some talk about our show, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Okay, Benedict, what can you tell us about this musical? Uh, So... I mean, a gentleman. Uh, it's it is in my top five favorite musicals uh, ever. It would it, be pretty close to top five for mine as well. It's a very yeah. entertaining musical. I mean, I should say it's part of my like. It's part of my variable top ten that like move around a lot, but it's often in the top five. It um, I mean, it opened in two thousand thirteen. It has music and lyrics by Stephen Lutvak, book and lyrics by Robert Friedman. Um. To one New York-based writer, one LA-based writer, Lutvac has like a long history of cabaret scene, um, and Robert Friedman's actually a screenwriter of his life. Right. Uh, they they both went to the program that 
in at the moment. They were both students in the very first class that was taught by Sondheim. Uh, they so what found... you're saying is that you will eventually write a musical comparable to A Gentleman's Guide of Love and Murder? I, I will be writing A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder to Electric Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> Give me my star turn. But yeah, so they... Um, I mean, the show has, like, a really reasonably public and, like, long history because it took uh, something to the effect of 15 years to actually make it to Broadway after it was ready for Broadway. Um, so it opened in 2013, but before that it went through about a decade of legal battle because it's um, it was originally based off a movie called Kind, kind Hearts and Coronets. It was originally an adaptation with the permission of the... Uh, film company, which I believe was a French company, but then um, the French company changed management. I think I I, sp- I speak not of this as fact, merely as uh, word of mouth. And he uh, and so they changed management. They decided to pull the rights, and so the writers went after them and tried to reclaim the rights. And literally ten years of fighting, um, very little rewriting in the middle, they ended up switching it around and it's uh and changing a few details to get it away from the movie and it's now actually and was the judge decided that it had always actually been more based on the original book which was the original source material yeah which is called israel israel rank an autobiography of a criminal from ages ago um and so they yeah they argued that it was actually based on the book they had to change the names um but not many details because they'd already done so much adaptation of the movie. And we still came after them because the the thing with the dice squiths with the um with like one actor playing all of them in the original movie, it was somebody very famous who I'm forgetting. But they did the same thing like, and the film company tried to argue that they owned that concept, <laughs> uh, and they were after once again a decade they were kicked out of court with that. But yeah, it went through all of that, and then it uh, it opened on Broadway in 2013. It ran for the best part of like two and a half years, uh, and then it went uh, on tour. It's had two different U.S. tours. It's, uh, so a tour left in 2015, which was an equity tour, and then just this year, the first non-equity tour just went out. There you go. There's way too much information. No, that's great, and and I I. I also, uh, it was Alec Guinness who who Alec Guinness the Dascoins family. The das- <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? I have not. No, but it was oh. in two thousand and four. It was voted um, top four, uh, the the fourth top British film of all time. So, um, so I, I, it, it is, is on my to watch list. One hundred percent, watch it. <laughs> Aside, it's so different to Gentleman's Guide for one, but it's such a damn good movie, and it's like it's so much darker than Gentleman's Guide. <laughs> good. Um, is it still comedic, or is it kind of take a turn away from the comedic? It is still comedic, but it's just a lot drier and darker. Yeah, it's cool. a really good film. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about the show other people can talk about the plot i i have like fun facts about the show it just it actually just had a japanese production um (laughs) is there a recording benedict i don't know i could 
check to see if there was going to be a cast recording. <laughs> look, it's look, um, look, we will Google it. We'll let our audience know and link it in the show notes if there is one. Oh yeah, fully translated, every single word translated. Wow. All right. Cool. Well, uh, shall we move on? Yes. All right. We'll come back with a uh, synopsis. Okay, so the plot of A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. It is deceptively complex. The basic, <laughs> right? Like, it, it is kind of yeah. just the story of a guy who is eighth in line or ninth in line to an earldom and goes about becoming the earl through misadventure. So, our, our hero is Monty Dicewith Navarro, the ninth Earl of Highhurst. Uh, so, it opens with a song warning the audience of the, the darkness of the show coming up. Uh, and then it opens with Monty Dicewith Navarro in jail. And then we flash back to how we got there. Uh, so, Monty is living in a very poor flat with his mother, uh, who has just died. And then a mysterious old woman shows up and tells Monty that his mother was, in fact, a member of the aristocratic Dysquith family. Uh, Isabel Dysquith, his mother, had eloped with a Spanish musician who has also died, uh, and caused her family to disinherit her. Are you with me so far? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it's, it's very, so complex. Very, very complex. Uh, so he writes a letter to Lord Dicewith and he basically says, no, we have nothing to do with you. Go away. We hate you. Uh, so then he decides to... Uh, um, Get him, I guess. <laughs> he is Can a- I... Yes? Can you? In eternal defense of Montague Dice... Of, of, of Monty, he doesn't technically decide to kill them. He kind of, like, accidentally happens on a chance to kill one of them and then slips into this accidental pattern of repeatedly killing them all. Whoa. But with like somewhat with an intention behind it. <laughs> with an intention. He actually have to do the act itself. So he doesn't. The first time he doesn't walk out with the intent. He doesn't no. leave the door no. with a with a gun. But he. Uh, so he is in love with Miss Sabella Hallward, but she won't marry him because he's so poor. So of course he wants to <laughs> become richer so that he can win over Sabella. Uh, so. He goes to meet the, um, a, is it a, a, a priest, a cardinal? Um, mm. one a priest. of them. I believe it's just a priest, uh, to talk to him about the Dysquiths. And while they're walking up on a bell tower, uh, he slips and Monty just neglects to save him, making him the seventh in line. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The, Earl, the earldom. Uh, so I will say that all of the Dysquiths 
bar, Monty, uh, and his cousin uh, are all played by one actor. And there are some amazing quick changes in the actual show. Uh, Yeah, it's fantastic. So he makes his way through the various dice squiths um, and all of them die very funny deaths. Uh, There is one of them who goes ice skating with his mistress and Monty saws the the pond and he 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 falls through and dies uh he sends one of his um one of his aunts i guess uh who is an an older woman who is insistent on being the most charitable person in the world to all these dangerous places uh in the hopes that she will just be killed uh in india (laughs) and in africa etc etc uh Meanwhile, he meets his cousin. Uh, what is her name? I've, um, my notes are all messed up. Phoebe. Phoebe. Uh, who is married to someone else, but she does eventually become a widow and proposes marriage to Monty when he's the third in line, I believe. She's behind him in the line of secession, so it's not a huge issue. And she's not blood... She's not blood related. No, right? She, she married in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, just wanted to add an extra theme in there, really. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, all during his his wooing and his rise to this position, he has maintained a relationship with Sabella, who has gone on to marry someone else, but still professes a love for Monty uh, and the the song I've decided to marry you where his cousin decided to marry you what, what was that Benedict you I was just I was just singing it very ever so lightly ever so lightly it is a very it, it is the song that you get in your head uh, basically he's just had an assignation with Sabella in his apartments and Phoebe shows up to uh, propose to him and they sing a trio, which is one of my favourite songs of the entire show. Uh, I've decided to marry you. Uh, he then goes on. Uh, his The second in line is the owner of the firm that Monty has secured uh, a job with and he dies of a heart attack. Um, unfortunately, just before, just while Monty was uh, considering whether or not it would be uh, the right thing to do to kill his boss, uh, his boss takes care of it for him and dies of a heart attack, leaving only the Earl to take care of before he is the Earl of Highhurst. So he has, uh, he's invited to a dinner party. Uh, Phoebe is there, as is Sibella, as is the Earl and his wife. And while they're talking about... While they they sing a song about... (laughs) He sings a song about how he's going to do it, uh, how he's going to kill the Earl, and then the Earl just up and dies, making him (laughs) the new Earl. And no one... He didn't do it, but he doesn't know who did. Then, after he is made the Earl, he is arrested for murder. 
And this brings us back to the beginning of the show where he is in prison talking about how he got here. And this is the 11th hour number. Both Phoebe and Sabella uh, write a letter accusing the other of the murder. And this is enough to give him uh, the... What is the legal term? Uh, Not probable cause. Reasonable Reasonable doubt. 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 Reasonable doubt. (laughs) Uh, And while neither of them admit to committing the murder, he walks out with both ladies on his arm and we find out that it was, in fact, his old nurse or his mother's old nurse who told him that he was a dice-squith who had, in fact, murdered the Earl the old Earl. Uh, and so we end the show with Monty, with both ladies, and the <laughs> Earldom. Yep. Gentleman's That's Guide right. to Love and Murder. <laughs> was, yeah, that was well done, Zane. Yeah, bravo. Yeah. Well done. So... <laughs> We have the Dice With family. There's a lot of characters in there, and I honestly can't remember all their names because uh, they're ridiculous. Um, but at the very end, in like an after credits uh, moment, uh, there is a janitor who is revealed to have been an illegitimate child of one of the dice squiths and therefore it's going to repeat itself uh, as he's found the diary um, yes. yeah there's uh, really hilariously about the post credit thing though I'm not sure if everyone notices but at the very end of the show um, after the after the curtain call after all the bows Monty actually kills him does he so Monty, after the bows, it, you, you can't... It, it's like the l- biggest nugget ever. Because if, uh, if you watch really carefully, he gives him a flower. Um, and he gives him like a poisonous, uh, a poisonous flower. And he eats it just before he walks off stage. And every, everyone just thinks it's a cute like actor thing. <laughs> but it's, it, like, it was actually 100% uh, intended to be that like Monty kills this one kid left. Well, there you go. Oh... See, Monty's a pretty bad guy, Benedict. <laughs> he he is, but once you watch the movie, you'll understand why I don't think he is. If you watch the movie and read the book as well, it, he's like such a better guy than Israel <laughs> Rank or the guy in um in Kind Hearts. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the Dicewiths are pretty shabby people to begin with, so it's not yes. like he's killing a whole bunch of good people. Uh, no. So, yeah. Look, so that that's that's the uh, the the synopsis. Let's uh, take a break, and we'll come back and talk about the songs and the music. Who has something to tell me about the songs in a gentleman's guide to love and murder? I do. KB. Yeah. Still awake. Um, still awake. Just, <laughs> guys. So forgive me if this becomes like rambling because it's now 3.30 in the morning. Um, so what I like about 
the music in Gentleman's Guide is that I'm not really like into real classically sounding. Uh, I don't even know how to put this. Like, You're a contemporary girl. I'm a contemporary girl. <laughs> um, but I also, lo- I mean, we should already know this by now, but <laughs> um, what I love about this soundtrack is that it's so um, filled with humour and the plot is really driven by the songs more so than I think in a, you see in a lot than you see in a lot of musicals because all of the deaths happen in song, basically. Yes, yeah. Or they're they're worked up to in song. Yeah. Yeah. The tent they build tension. And yeah, that's through fun. the music. Through the music. Um, so like you said before, Zane, it opens with a warning to the audience, which is um, sung by the ensemble. And the ensemble pieces are all warnings. Um, there's a warning to the audience. There's a warning to Monty. There's a final warning um, <laughs> towards the end of Act 2. Um, yeah, it's just it's got some great harmonies. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun time. Um, so many sopranos. In this. So many sopranos. And, like, usually I'd be like, why? <laughs> um, because so much of it is sung um, right up there. Like, yeah. it's hit the top of the top. Um, but it, it works for the show. Um, we go into your dice quiz, obviously, which is where Monty finds out. And this is, like, a lot of... I think what I like is, is the lyric along with... Um, with the rhythms of the music because the wordplay of it and um, the tempo of everything work hand in hand and bring out how funny everything is. And it really amps up the melodrama of, of, of the show or the satire of the show. Definitely um, the wordplay and, and the rhythms in this like really, really push the music forward. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you've got a few solos in there. Um, Sabella sings about how life is hard for her and her for class life and who does she choose. I can hear my voice. I'm so sorry, guys. This is going to be a fun time. <laughs> um, Monty thinks about how it's like it's silly for him to think um, that Sabella will ever want to be with someone like him. Um, and then he starts meeting the dice cliffs. So he starts with Lord Elderbert. Um, he goes to the house of the dice cliffs and Lord Elderbert sings about how he doesn't understand the poor, which is also a funny, funny song about... Really funny. Like, it really kind of sets the... Like, you, you've you've. you've sp- spoken about the class divide before in this musical and then this is just kind of like from the other side just like how ignorant these people are so it kind of sets them up as villains absolutely like after that song you want monty to kind of succeed well (laughs) at least kill that guy (laughs) yeah he's awful um and then we go into Poison in My Pocket, which I think is just, like, it's quite catchy and probably the most catchy song in Act One. Mm-hmm. Um, so that um, Asquith Jr. Um, and Monty are in that, in that, um, mm-hmm. in that number. Um, and 
Can I say something? And yes. And a character called Miss Barley, um, who's like the other woman who was. It was originally meant to be a duet, and when you like look at the moment narratively, it's meant to be a duet. But in the workshops of the show, they had this uh, lady whose name I'm going to completely forget, and I feel awful because I've met the woman and she's incredible. But she, um, they had her in the cast, and she could do these crazy things with her voice. So they were like, "Oh, let's just add a descant part." Was it uh, over the top? No, she was she was Hartford stage Old Globe. It doesn't. I, I can't find the workshop cast anywhere. It was Catherine. It's Catherine Walker. Ah, Catherine. So it's Catherine Walker, and she. Um, yeah. So they added this part just for her. That's like, and she has a crazy voice. And when you look at the part notated, it's like it is a really technically tough part to sing. And it's this. It turns it into this incredible trio. Um, and that's my fun fact. I love that song more than <laughs> anything, and I love the descant part. No. It's a it's a great song. I that's a good favorite to have. It's also one of my favorites for the show. Um, Sabella sings about Monty for a bit, um, and then it <laughs> goes into Monty. and poor Monty. She she finds him so sad, um, <laughs> and yet she still loves him. That's really the the hero of this story. Um, and then we meet Henry. Um, <laughs> Who is married to Phoebe? Uh, yes. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, but Henry, I don't think um, potentially should be married to Phoebe. It's a, um, it's a after song singing the song. With subtext. So much subtext. It's called <laughs> Better with a Man. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we Like, you guys, if you hear it, if you see it, you can make your own judgment calls. Um... And then Phoebe and Monty have a bit of a moment um, where they're not necessarily singing about them being in love, but you can see that there's kind of a spark happening and it's very nice. Um, And then I think the next song, Lady Hyacinth Abroad, is one of the most cleverly staged Yeah, this was was one of the most entertaining to watch. It was so entertaining, um, where uh, Monty sends Lady Hyacinth to a, a bunch of exotic places and just constantly shocked that she comes back, um, which eventually she doesn't because, well, that's the plot of this story. Um, and then we go into the beginning of Act 2. I know I've skipped a couple, but they're... No, no, I think you're fine. hitting all the main ones. Um we open Act 2 with Why Are All the Dice Quits Dying? The ensemble has figured out that there's, there's possibly something sinister happening. This is um, possibly... This is a contender for one of my favourite songs in the show because it's literally the ensemble complaining about having yeah. to go to so many funerals. Funerals. <laughs> it's, it's so, so good. funny. It's so funny. This show is great. Um, and then Monty sings about Sabella because he's still hooked. Um, and then we have, I think, just uh, the one of the <laughs> finest pieces of theatre I have ever seen in I've Decided to Marry You, which is Phoebe, Sabella and Monty, where it's just a lot of um, uh, place swapping. So one coming through one door as the other one's hiding through another and constant. Lots yeah, of it's, it's 
Dorography is a great <laughs> word for it, Zane. It's really, it's true. And you're like, oh, no, they're going, oh, no, they're going, oh, no. Every time, all, the whole <laughs> song, you're just like, oh, this is going to be the end for you, Bonte. Um, the ensemble sings their final warning. <laughs> um, and then we go back to a reprise of Poison in My Pocket. Um, and then we finally get to Lord Elderbert's death. Um <laughs> <laughs> where he he, um, he sings a big song about how great he is, essentially. Um, and then we say goodbye. But and Monty's Looking down the barrel of a gun. Uh, looking down the barrel of a gun. And the whole joke here is that it's a, it's a miracle that this guy hasn't killed himself before now. Actually. <laughs> so Actually. It, and honestly, he, the whole thing is priming you to not be sad when he dies. Like, the whole show, like, from the minute you meet him, you're like, bye. Um, Then Monty is shocked because he's like, but I didn't do anything. How how did this happen? Um, (laughs) Which is fun. It's a fun time. Um, He goes to jail. Sabella Phoebe, the detective... Um, the magistrate and the guard all um, participate in that horrible woman, which is Sabella and Phoebe essentially blaming each other. Um, and then we go into the finale. So song-wise, it's not like it's not a very long soundtrack in turn, in regards to other musicals. Um, but there aren't a lot of like there isn't a song in here for me that I would skip. I would listen to all of them. Yes, you know? and, and I think and I for for a. Um, a musical that is uh, called A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, it really showcases women a lot. Uh, and yeah. I think that that is something that I was really surprised about, is just how how well the women are presented in this musical. Uh, even narratively, uh, they they are always... They're not just props for men to use, which is, with musicals, shown at this time they're usually the basically props or prizes to be passed from one man to another and they're given a lot of agency and i think that's reflected in the uh in the songs and how much uh narrative they uh they are allowed to show the audience absolutely i think it's also like kind of flipping that notion on its head too because sabella chooses yes like who she wants to be with and how she's gonna use essentially and Phoebe's the same like they don't decisions are not made for them um yeah that's so, that that's the whole that's the whole thing so Julie if you had to pick a favourite song from this musical what would it be <laughs> <laughs> um well you're our resident soprano <laughs> yes I am very true <laughs> um <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I listened to the soundtrack the other day and I was surprised, like as Benedict was saying before, um, it's just like it's it's written as as musicals were, as musicals kind of should be. Mm-hmm. I'm like very, I'm the opposite to KB. You like, you're, you're the classical I'm, lady? I'm, I'm the classical lady. Um, I don't know. I, would, I actually now really want to see that desk camp. I did not get up to it on the soundtrack. Did not hear that song. Um, 
It's uh, it's like hardly you... noticeable. Is it? It's <laughs> just, just hardly noticeable. Yeah, it's in the soundtrack. It's mixed really far back. It's like it it sounds like it's part of the orchestra. And and when she's on stage, when they actually do it in the original cast, they didn't. They turned her microphone off because I mean she was just so like insanely loud because she was popping up these huge like C's. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it was just always like there's this background texture. Let's just say I, I kind of want to hear the workshop version of that. And I have a feeling <laughs> yes. that would then be my favourite. <laughs> what about you, Benedict, if you had to pick pick a favourite song? That's a really good question. W- weirdly, I think my favourite song might be the one that is the least in the genre of the show. Because the genre is kind of like a... I mean, like... Uh, the composer himself refers to it as a as a love letter to uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's. Like the whole thing is precisely that. But this one song doesn't really fit in that, and that's Sibella, the second song in Act Two. Yeah. Um, and I think that's my favorite song because it also not only is it a beautiful song and it's like super taut, uh, it's like really tight in its writing and it doesn't waste anything. But it also like talk it speaks to like what I think is like the really deep uh, core of the story, which is this like toxic love uh, he has for Sabella that he yeah. can like see how awful she is, but that he's like completely addicted to her. Uh, I think that just like narratively that from, turns me on the most, and <laughs> like Ooh. I know right, and musically I think it's just like musically I think it's glorious. I think the whole score is glorious, and I think I mean. Lutvac is just like Julie that his he you know he's he thinks his favorite song is ever is um my funny valentine and like what he listens to on his iPod is old old Richard Rogers like pre Hammerstein Richard Rogers and so like he is such an old fashioned guy which is why this whole score sounds exactly like music written back then uh waxing lyrical i love the whole thing but sabella <laughs> Well, this whole, like you said, this whole show really does follow a theme and it is all so tight and like purposeful in its composition. Mm. So it is really a great show. If you, if you appreciate this style of show, a really great show to listen through. Mm -hmm. And just like try, if you've never done it or if you've like watch, I've decided to marry you, like the Tony's performance. (laughs) Yes. And watch what happens and then listen to the soundtrack and you can see, like, the reason why it's so perfect and the switching back and forth is so perfect is because, like, all of that information about him jumping back and forth between the doors is all in the music as well. Mm-hmm. He does these, like, really genius um, key changes that come out of absolutely nowhere and jump back and forth really quickly. Because that choreography and, like, was all worked out in the workshop, wasn't it? Yeah, that was all, like, well into, like, after it had been written. Yeah. Um, they'd always had this like concept, but they like the the music itself does so much of the like visual storytelling, and that you can like hear everything that happens, uh, which is what makes it an insanely good score, especially that song. All right, well we've, we've I touched. I feel like. Oh. Sorry, I feel like if this was a love letter to like composers of yesteryear, it's a love letter that goes, "Hey, dudes." Okay, let me show you how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm going to write that down and send it to someone. 
<laughs> yeah, well, let, let's let's make sure that that ends up on their next poster. <laughs> ah. All right, so we've touched on the cast a little bit. Let's take a break and we'll come back and, and talk about the different casts that this musical has seen. Julie. Yes, um. Tell us. Let's um, have a ab- chat. Yeah, let, let's let's sit down and let's <laughs> just really go over all the different casts that have appeared in Gentleman's Guide. Okay, we can do that. Um, so the Dicewith family is actually in total ten different roles mm-hmm. played by the one person. Um, I won't tell you all of their actual character names because oh, there's a few. Come on, it's great. I can <sighs> do it. I'll do it. Do you really want it? How bad do you want it? Asquith Dicewith <laughs> Jr., Lord Aldebert Dicewith, Reverend Lord Ezekiel Dicewith, Lord Asquith Dicewith, Senior. <laughs> uh, Henry Dysquith, Lady Hyacinth Dysquith, Lord uh, Major Lord Bartholomew Dysquith, Lady Salome Dysquith, F- Pumphrey, and Chauncey Dysquith. Very good. Well done, That's gang. right. Chauncey is the janitor at the end that eats the poison. I was going to say. <laughs> All right. So the Dysquith family um, for the Hartford stage, Old Globe cast and original Broadway cast is all played by Jefferson Mays. And I am in he... love with him. Oh, okay. Do you want me to scribe a little letter to him now? Please. Or... Okay. Dear <laughs> Jefferson, <laughs> Zane is in love with you. Well, when I saw Are him on you Broadway, as in... it was yep. amazing what he did. Uh, he mm. was... Like, Monty is a very interesting character, but just what Jefferson Mays did on the stage was just hilarious. Every scene that he was in, he stole. Um, he has the, the, the one of the quickest um, costume changes, I think, recorded? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, in... Uh, if, if you watch the Tony performances uh, of... Uh, a gentleman's guide from that year. He does the actual costume change on stage, um, and oh. it is ridiculously quick. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if you are as in love <laughs> with the two gentlemen that play the Dicewith family after Jefferson. Um, you had the U.S. national tour cast, which was John Rapson, and the second national tour cast was just Taylor Odom. Not as in love. I can't say no I'm in love because I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them do and it. And they don't have Wikipedia pages. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Monty in the Hartford stage and Old Globe cast was Ken Barnett. And then taken over for the original Broadway cast is Bryce Pink. Pink. Sorry, I can't say words. Words are hard. <laughs> Bryce Pinkham. Um, which Pinkum. <laughs> um, U.S. national tour cast is Kevin Massey, and the second national tour cast is Blake Price. Um, Sibelia. How do you say her name? Sibelia? Sibella. Yes. Sibella. That makes sense because it's literally C and Bella. Yep. Well done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, again, 
Hartford Stage and original Broadway cast is Lisa O'Hare, and I thought I knew her from something. Turns out I do not. <laughs> <laughs> even, not even a little bit. Something this musical no. has taught you. That I don't know any of the cast. <laughs> Um, taking it from her, Kristen Beth Williams, followed by Colleen McLaughlin. I was about to say, I did not take over. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Well, not ever. I cannot write those notes. (laughs) Julie will be back. You can can extend, baby. It's not too late. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Uh, Phoebe Phoebe Dyskett is played by oh, I can't say that name Angelina. Thank you Angelina <laughs> Kennedy um, For original Broadway Lauren Warsham mm, Lauren. Followed by, Yeah, you fan? Uh, she's, uh, she's just excellent And she's got like the coolest uh, Like musical Oeuvre because she sings with Like rock bands But she's also a crazy opera singer like i saw her in an original opera and it was like intense and incredible but then she has a glam rock band and then she's also on broadway she's got the most like versatile voice do i need to write a letter or no i i no (laughs) i'll take care of it (laughs) (laughs) um all right she's followed by adrian eller and aaron mcintyre who else do we want to know about? Uh, I, well, those are all the big ones, aren't they? They are. Um, they are. Got uh, Miss Marietta Shingle, who was uh, Jane Carr, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, yeah. Why do I know that name, Zane? Tell me. <laughs> Let's play this game again. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> Jane Carr is is just like an an actress, a uh, British actress. Um, like she she's been about uh but like so i'm just i'll go onto her wikipedia page shall i um so she received uh, an olivia award nomination in 77 uh for mary mooney on the comedy once a catholic uh she's been with the royal shakespeare company uh so she plays she's been in mary poppins uh the life and adventures of nicholas nickleby it's a uh, yeah. So she she's just a working actress, but she <laughs> she again was one of my favourite parts of the Broadway production that I saw. Just a working actress. I know. Just a working actress. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, if you see her and you see her work, you'll go, oh, oh no. So she's that woman from that that thing. But you won't yeah. specifically be able to say that's Jane Carr. I love Jane Carr. Jane Carr's in everything. Um. I think I, I want to make a character two... actress. There we go. I would love to make like two or three major cast shout outs. Okay. One is the The is cast the... is four people. <laughs> no, it's um Jeff Creedy, who was in the ensemble but was the original cover for uh, and then after Bryce Pinkham left the cast, uh, like a year in, Jeff took over and he is incredible. Jeff Creedy is like out of this world and he was such a good Monty um, and I got to see him from half a metre away sing parts of it in like a little like I don't know what to call it, it wasn't a cabaret just like a little private song share and um, like the differences in their performances are 
so tiny but so huge because like Bryce has such like bright manicness about him that he plays the funny so well but like Jeff Creedy has this has these incredibly like sympathetic but very dark eyes that like the, the like really serious parts of the show came out so Julie, much more with Jeff Julie I think you need to write another letter okay hang on you do he's beautiful dear Jeff and then the other <laughs> shout out is just for the the thing that I found most incredible about the ensemble casting was that there's like not they're not chorus girls like no. they're on was made up of of people people of a of a certain age a lot of like middle-aged people with and like a truly broad range of voices because we were talking about the fact they have sopranos but it's also one of the few broadway shows recently that has like a true bass track that actually hits like basement notes yeah yeah and so it means that like a, a lot of people a lot of people who a usually wouldn't get cast in these, you know, chorus girl style shows, and also people who wouldn't usually get to like take these uh, featured ensemble roles, get to all be piled into the show where the ensemble is like so incredibly active and so incredibly unique. And I just think that's like a really good thing for the community and for the world. And of course, we've already spoken Benedict. about Catherine Walker, who is uh... amazing. Yeah. All right, so that's the actual cast. Let's take a break and we'll come back with our dream cast. I have a few people in Do mind you? for my dream cast. Mostly Same for the, uh, the Jefferson Mays role, the Dice with Family. Uh, mm. I, I bring him up a lot, but uh, I would love to see Jeffrey Rush. Oh, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> because I, I think the, the, what you want for that role is not necessarily a great singer, but a great character actor. Uh, mm. And, you know, you could go Nathan Lane, but I, I think... I think no. Nathan is a little too, still a little too mainstream for for that particular role. Um, it, it, does anyone else have a have a great dice quiffs? No, I think Not Jeff. After Jeff. It, yeah, that's that's kind of life changing. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, well, what about any of the others? Um, in the role of Chauncey at the end. Um, I'd really like to see Zach Efron. Um, <laughs> Yay, Katie! Oh, I've missed you. I just needed to. There's been a there's been a break, um, so I just needed to uh, throw him back into the mix of. Maybe, I think he has been mentioned every single episode. Fight, <laughs> Katie! You make me sick. Um, I haven't. Men- I haven't mentioned. That's true. You haven't. If well you done. do, you know what though? It's a beautiful thing if our guests are now mentioning it. Yeah, um, <laughs> we've started a we've started a movement. But um, in all seriousness, I kind of like to see. Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. In the role of Monty, I would like to see. Oh my god, it's gone! It'll come back to me. Eddie Redmayne. Keep talking. 
Eddie Redmayne would be hilarious. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Oh, my goodness. John Cryer. He was oh, in okay. Two and a Half Men. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh. Okay. The one who I, isn't Charlie Sheen? The one who isn't Charlie <laughs> Sheen. I don't know. There's something about him and his awkwardness oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. um, I don't know if he could sing it. I don't know if he can sing. But um, I think it would be interesting to see. I think he has like a David Hyde Piercy kind of vibe to him. Yeah, um, I can see that. I think it, I think David Hyde Pierce would make a great dice squiff. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I would be down to see that. And I think if we if we're talking like movie actors, definitely for Phoebe, um, Emily Blunt. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Because oh. she, she just like sits there for me. She's that she's that exact type. She sits where for you better do. <laughs> let's say <laughs> that the after our portion of the show, thank you. <laughs> Well, I have another dice with suggestion, and he has done a lot of Broadway. Uh, John Lithgow. Yeah. Oh. He's good. He's, yeah, solid. If you That's want, good, like, a super one. tall dice with family. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Just for something a little different with Monty, this is a half-formed thought, and I might disagree with myself in 30 seconds. But maybe someone like Brian Darcy James. Oh yeah. But like, yeah. but but uh, maybe maybe like five years ago, Brian Darcy James. No, I think I think good old Bri Bri now would uh, would suffice as well. Would have the note, uh, and he'd be kind of excellent because he's lovable, but also has like a dark side to him, and yeah. I'd be all about that. Yeah. Good one. All right. Thanks. Well, uh, if we don't have any other strong opinions, how about we... What about Sabella? I was thinking about Sabella, and I I think Sabella, you really need a really strong comedic actress. Yeah. So, and I know we could just say Sutton, just just put Sutton in everything. (laughs) What about... What about Carrie Ellis? Okay. Oh, Is she yeah. too old? I don't think so. Mm-mm. She's like late 30s, but I think no. she could, I don't know, I think she could be it. No. Is she, she's 38. I think, I think she could do it on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a go. Give it a go. Chuck her in. Give it a go. <laughs> Just chuck her in there. <laughs> no, no one else has any uh, uh, Sabella shout outs? Mm. I mean, I would like to see myself as Sabella in a production one day. <laughs> Why? I would like to that too. I just think it's something the world doesn't know it hates yet, and I think the world needs to know that it hates it. It uh, might be a little bit too late to extend your range. What if, what if we go... Uh, you don't know my range. <laughs> what if we go full, full comedian me? and just go Kristen Wiig? Uh, yes. <laughs> I didn't go. I'm all for that idea. I didn't go Rebel Wilson <laughs> because. What? <sighs> well, Please. we'll just end it there. Okay, <laughs> good. Well, let's take a break. Back to with our... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll come back with our top five lists, everyone. <laughs> So we've discussed dreamcasts, dreamcasts, uh, but what top five lists would this musical uh, belong to? Top five musicals that have more than one death. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Little Shop, Sweeney, this one. Mm. So top three. <laughs> well, no, because there's also West Side Story. West Side Story has more than one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm out. Um, I would say I would put it on top five ensembles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We've, we've got You're in Town on that list. I think this is, yeah. this is definitely deserves to be up there. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to say top five uh, bassoon parts. Okay. <laughs> not not many shows have a dedicated bassoon book, and I'm pretty sure Gentleman's Guide is one of the few. Can and you give the... us some examples of other shows that might be on that list? <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> I could try really hard. Uh, I'm I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm pretty sure West Side has some bassoon in it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Everything Gilbert and Sullivan's. <laughs> there we go. Gilbert and Sullivan's wrote more than five. Nailed it. That's true. There we go. Our our resident music expert. Um, it's. What about uh, top five? Uh, well, I I was going to say polygamists, but he doesn't marry Sabella. Mm-hmm. So, what's a word? Triads. <laughs> triads love triangles love it's not triangle. a love triangle because, well I guess it is because mm. they both end up with him at the end mm. top five menages there. menages <laughs> menage trois mm-hmm. any other top fives um, like it's a really good musical I'm surprised it's not on more uh, I'm going to say top yeah Top top five dramedies because it's a, it is a comedy, but it is it has elements of like actual emotional beats and drama in it. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as like hard slapstick comedies go, have emotional content definitely in the top five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about top five musicals with an ice skating scene? Yes. <laughs> Name four others. Ah, uh, Swan Lake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. There's probably some Christmas ones. <laughs> Honk. Honk has ice skating. There you go. Honk, Honk. does have ice skating. You know what? Um, Five uses of directed audience address in in musicals. They, that you're in town again? You're in town would be on that top five list. Um, into the woods? Mm. Into the woods... I think it would qualify, though, even if there is more than five. Um, but yeah, I think they use direct audience address geniusly because the audience is just the, I mean, is kind of the memoirs throughout. We're kind of in the place of the book and everyone talks to us. And it's not like that kind of audience address that makes your skin crawl. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about uh, top five uh, 
top five musicals with a one actor playing. Yeah, I was about characters. to say top top five musical like with the smallest cast for a full scale musical <laughs> because of that. Yeah, yeah. Like, so this yeah. four, this fourteen parts played by four people. Yeah. Crazy. All right. Anything else? We've covered bassoon. Uh, we've covered <laughs> ten roles played by one actor. Um, top five little engines that could, as far as like shows that had to work really, really damn hard to get to Broadway. Maybe so, the like this time to get to Broadway. Like Cradle Will Rock as well was another one that hits that list for me. And it is the little engine that could because it just like didn't give up for fifteen years. And then it won the Tony. And then it deservedly won the Tony. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we'll we'll leave that section there. We'll come back and we'll tell you exactly what lessons we learnt from A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. What lessons did you all learn from this show? Um... That if it's meant to happen, it will happen, and sometimes you just gotta let life take its course. Now, because, Katie, uh, it may all work say, out for you in the end. When you say if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. <laughs> do you mean if murder is meant to happen, <laughs> it will happen? If you want to be somewhere in life, <laughs> i.e., you want to be the Earl of Highhurst, um. You just got to put those positive vibes out there into the universe. Be <laughs> the best poison. person you can possibly be. <laughs> Think about potentially knocking off a few people along the way, and then it will all just happen for you. Well, I think this musical also goes a long way to show that you can sympathize with a serial killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's yeah. probably a top five we should have put on it. Top five serial killers. Top five musical, yeah. Sweeney being the other. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I was on Fleet Street today and I was so excited. Oh, that's <laughs> like, amazing. Sweeney's here. <laughs> I did. Yay. <laughs> um, t- uh, what are we doing? Lessons we learned. Um, <laughs> the title, the title segment of, of the podcast. Yes. You know, the reason why we're here. Um, I learned that... Um, no, I've got nothing. Got I nothing. learned that you... Go on. You can it. just get used to murdering people. <laughs> just get used to doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first might be an accident, but from there on in, I mean, you killed one, what's the rest? Uh, <laughs> never Amazing. underestimate the, uh, the power of hidden allies. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, this podcast may go into evidence one day if Julie accidentally does something. What do you mean, accidentally does something? The first one will be an accident. <laughs> um, I think I learnt the dangers, the dangers of toxic love Aww. and the dangers of addiction to a person. I think that that comes really Whoa. clearly. I know. Oh, so serious. So serious. Um, no, I like that. I like that a lot. And also that, like, the, there's something in the musical that's always... 
that it, like the show itself and like all the characters kind of breeze over, which is that like the entire reason he was kicked out of this family was be- for, for racial reasons because she married a um, a Spanish man, somebody with half Castilian blood, uh, and that like that is the reason he's not allowed in, and that if any of them found out who he actually was, they would not be happy. Uh, and I think that that's... I'm not sure what the lesson is there, but I think that it actually carries a lot of weight. Well, the original book was actually criticised for being anti-Semitic, but mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't anti-Semitic. It was like To Kill a Mockingbird. It was mocking anti-Semitism at the time. So yeah. I think that is kind of reflected in that... What you were just saying is that the reason she wasn't allowed... She was disowned was because of the, the race and... Uh, genealogy of the man she married mm-hmm. uh, I learned don't mm. eat flowers from strangers don't no, eat flowers from strangers don't go ice skating ever especially um, if you're cheating if you're cheating yeah, yeah ice skating taste... is not a great date activity no <laughs> um what else what else hmm <laughs> Don't look down I can the barrel only... of a gun, guys. Don't look down the barrel of a gun. Don't look down the barrel of a gun. <laughs> I mean, that um, one should go without saying. Like, you shouldn't have waited to listen to this musical before you learned that lesson. That um, life gives you lemonade. You don't even have to make it. It just hands it to you. <laughs> That's <laughs> brilliant. Uh, um... I have a whole bunch of really boring, like, composerly things that I've learned from the okay, show. Okay, you get to give us one. One boring composerly thing that you've learned from the show. Or, like, writerly thing. What can, what can I say that's... Okay, I think that the the big writing lesson from this, which you've already touched on, is, like, sympathizing with a serial killer. And how they do it is because before he's killed anyone, they present his final target and present how gross his final target is. So that, like, you're on his side against that guy. And so the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. Because if, if you didn't see the final Dysquith, who was such a powerful douche, if you didn't <laughs> see him and didn't want him dead so much, it would be a lot harder to latch on to this character who was just killing a bunch of people who were like kind of bad and so the way that they like give that so much weight at the start and then they kind of brought through a lot of the other murders because most of the murders happen in act one yeah and and then like leave you with most of the time being about one killing is the way it lets you like actually love the serial killer whereas i think in sweeney you don't sweeney isn't about that like sweeney you don't you're not meant to pity him in that kind of way or like feel for him in that kind of way. Uh, whereas this does an excellent job of making like a strong, positive protagonist who we all think is a hero when you're like sitting there, uh, when really he just kills a bunch of people and at the end kills a little kid. So what you're saying, <sighs> Benedict, is that you've learned the power of a uh, powerful douche. <laughs> And scene. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, so context is everything. If we if we didn't if we didn't pick someone as the bad guy, then our good guy wouldn't would have been the bad guy instead. Mm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's leave it there, and we'll come back 
with our goodbyes. All right, Benedict. Uh, so, what have you got going on? You're you live in New York. You're uh, very important and influential. Uh, what have you got to plug? <laughs> um, uh, what do I have to plug? I've got a couple of cabarets coming up that uh, none of you can come to unless you decide to fly here. Maybe we will. Uh, Let us know, or maybe people I, I, will hear this that are already in New York. Very true. Um, well, you can always look me up on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Benedict Braxton Smith. Also, my website, www.benedictbraxtonsmith.com. And I'm about to launch a sheet music website uh, on there where you can buy my songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, what else, cra- what else crazy do I have? Songs? <laughs> what, yeah, 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 yeah. Soon. <laughs> it, it will be soon. Um, I'm writing, I'm working on a new piece at the moment that I can't tell you what it's about, but I can give you a title, which is a great piece. It's called Dr. Fox and the Impossible Cure for Death. Uh, And I'm writing it with Megan. I think that that really describes what it's about, Benedict. (laughs) Oh, you'd think so. Uh, (laughs) It's a, it's a kind of a weird fountain of youth, uh, story somewhere around. You're not allowed to tell us what it's about. That's all I can say about it. Okay. Um, so I'm working on that this year, and it's going to have a closed... Thanks to NYU, it's going to have a closed equity reading in six months' time. Oh, great. Uh, and yeah, I mean, apart from that, I, I have nothing super exciting to plug at the moment. Well, Benedict, do you have an iPhone? Yeah, yes. You should go onto your podcast app. And uh-huh. search for Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know. Uh-huh. And then scroll all the way to the bottom and see where it says write a review. You should give uh-huh. us a five-star review and write us something nice. And I would encourage all of our listeners to do the same thing. Uh, because that really helps us get out there in the iTunes algorithms. Uh, that is what they look at. Uh, but if you want to talk to us about what we said on this podcast, you can go to our website. That's not canonproductions.com forward slash M-T-M-E-I-K. That's the first initials of Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know, on Twitter at Musicals Teach Me, or if you want to send us an email that Julie will do her best to answer, Musicals Taught Me Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. And if you want to read the loving review that Benedict is about to leave us on iTunes, you know, just go into iTunes, search for Musicals, Scroll down to the bottom and read the reviews and maybe even leave us one. That would be so exciting. So it's been great to talk to you, Benedict. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank, thank you. It's been, it's been really nice to talk to the bunch of you. I miss you all a lot. On our first uh, international uh, show. So hopefully we'll get you back and do, do some more with you. Oh, please, anytime. And I will hunt down all of the writers in New York and get the sneaky gossip from them. That you Ooh. you can know, but you can't tell us. <laughs> I I meant I meant to find Steve and ask him what I can tell you. I can tell you that the the rights for Gentleman's Guide are technically available in Australia. What? You just have to apply for them. So Sneaky they the, gossip. We they they are on 
they are on Hal Leonard. It's just by specific application. Oh, okay. Well, that's good news um, for anyone who wants to put it on. You heard it here first, guys. Mm. And uh, so, again, KB, it's Ooh. great to have you back. It's so nice to be back, guys. I've missed you And this has gone so, so well. So hopefully we'll get you back for heaps more as well. Yay! Next time, maybe not 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh, come but on. But I'm happy to be here. Do it <laughs> I'm, you know that I will be here even if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and as always, it's been a pleasure, Julie. Oh, thank you, dear. <laughs> and I will see you all next time. I have been Zane C. Webber. This has been Musical Stormy Everything I Know. And catch us next Friday uh, where we talk about another musical. Bye. 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 Adios. mothership and pray to god that it works no none of these ideas are going to work i've got it what we need to do is tell every citizen to leave their homes naked and just tell them to have sex with toasters in the street the aliens will be so confused they'll just sort off if you'd like to see the alternate takes on political issues ranging from big to small subscribe to a new world order podcast at www.thatsnotkindofproductions.com forward slash a new world order That's Not Gunner Productions podcast. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.